Welcome back to The Gavel and the Gavel. It's me, Harry. And on this occasion, I'm not joined by Simon. We have trailed for several episodes now. We've got a, a special Christmas episode coming up with our wives. Sadly, life has conspired against all of us. And this is going to be online and come out in the new year. And so instead, producer David, Big D, as he's known to us, has put together some excerpts, some greatest hits from previous episodes coming up over the next couple of recordings, I believe. Uh, so this is just before Christmas. Uh, Simon and I would like to wish you all a happy Christmas. Thank you for your support uh, over the year. We're just finishing a couple of uh, auctions and we've both got live time sales running over the uh, Christmas period because like most auction houses, we never stop and we feel you should, we should give everybody an opportunity just in case you're fed up of uh, eating turkey or opening presents of uh, buying things for your collection, etc., etc., etc. So thanks very much for uh, listening to the pod. Uh, this episode has got excerpts from our fantastic interviews with David Harper, he of TV fame, amongst many, many other things, as you'll find out. The fantastic Danny Sebastian. He was great fun. Technology uh, didn't get the better of us, and eventually we got the episode together. And uh, Danny, as expected by all of us, and because he, he's highly requested by uh, lots of our listeners, was great fun. And then, of course, uh, Richard Payne with us. This gentleman owns a massive antique centre in Bridport, uh, which is one of those uh, towns that has made itself a hub for the antique industry, and he's great fun. Uh, do tell your friends about the pod. Thanks ever so much. Oh, David, we're delighted to have you on today. I mean, you are literally a household name these days, so it's fantastic to get you on the gavel and the gabble. So where do we start today? How about, David, uh, could you give us... A bit of an introduction. I mean, we know you from the TV. We know you from Flog It and Road Trip and Bargain Hunt and your YouTube channels. But tell us a bit about how you got started in this wonderful game of antiques and, and a bit of background on yourself, if you would. Simon, I've got to take you back to the age of five. We're going back in time here. So it was history, history. I loved objects that were connected to people long gone. So, you know, relatives would give me a coin or a shard of pottery. And it just used to blow my mind handling it, holding it, imagining traveling back in time. And even now, today, the same thing happens. When I hold a fresh, new, ancient object, I can look at it, weigh it, even smell it examine it, close my eyes and touch it, and I can feel that I'm travelling back in time, connecting to real, long-gone, long-forgotten people. So it was that, the history side. And then as I was growing up, objects came into my life. My parents always had antiques. And then from the age of 18, I, I discovered that I could satisfy this burning desire to learn about objects and history and people and stories by buying and selling antiques and make a bit of money as I do it. How's that? Well, what is it you enjoy so much about the TV work? I, I think I love TV that is immediate. So I have done studio shows and I always thought I wanted to do a studio show and I did a studio show. And 
it was quite interesting and it was quite good, but it was all very set up. I was kind of waiting around a lot. I had to read a script effectively to do, to explain something, describe something, but I had to get it verbatim as they'd written it down for all sorts of legal reasons. And I didn't enjoy it. I like going out into a middle of a field at an antiques fair and somebody showing me something and saying, when there's a camera in my face and they're recording me, what is that? And I like to react in that moment. And if I don't know exactly what it is, I get a bit of a thrill by twisting and turning and getting the topic of conversation onto something I do know about. <laughs> get away with that for 20 years. <laughs> That's brilliant. And you do, you know, uh, I'm sorry to, you're not blowing smoke. You do come across absolutely brilliantly on these TV shows. You are incredibly watchable and the passion comes, you know, really comes across. Is there, have you got any good anecdotes from being on these um, shows? You know, any good stories you can share with our listener? Um, you know, the high points of being on these shows for you? I, I think one of my favourite shows to do, and it's, it's bizarrely, ironically, it's the most difficult show to do is the celebrity version of Antiques Road Trip. Okay. I won't mention any names, but a lot of my colleagues on screeners don't particularly like the celebrity road trips because they are rock hard work. You're having to deal with a celebrity and buy antiques, try and make some money, interview them and all of that. But I love the interviewing of them because I think like you guys, I'm fascinated in people. People always have great stories to tell. So I love being put into a car with a celebrity, somebody that I know from the big screen, the little screen, a rock star, a comedian. I know them from afar. And suddenly, I'm in a little car, a little Triumph Herald or something. <laughs> We're driving down the street, and I'm interviewing them. And I just get such a thrill out of that. And I must say, I learn from every single celebrity. Because the funny thing with these the celebrities that you meet, first and foremost, as you know, interviewing people, knowing people, the common denominator is they are just ordinary people. There's nothing extraordinary about them. And they often will say when others meet them, they're generally disappointed because they're <laughs> not that extraordinary. They're just normal. And it's nice to talk to a normal person who has loads of really interesting stories to tell. So, And, and another thing that, that I learned from every single celebrity, and, and I've monitored this over 10 years of working with them, and it doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what religion, what colour, what gender they are, whether they've known one another, met one another or not, you could describe them as all coming from the same tribe because they all have this kind of positivity and they never dwell on the past. They never say, I used to be a rock star, now I'm retired and I was a, 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 a big name once. They're not. They're always talking about the next project and the next project could literally be designing their garden. They've always got something exciting to do. So they're always passionate about something. And it's not necessarily a big something. They get up at, on the morning and they look forward to doing something new. So yeah, that they, they all come from the same tribe. It's bizarre. Very interesting to study. That's a fabulous observation. That is an absolutely fabulous observation. And I'll throw that back at you, David, because the list is endless. I mean, we've got published writer. We'll talk about that in a minute. We've got artist. We've got sculptor. 
haven't quite so much got chef yet, have we? <laughs> no, I think that's an area I'm just going to just keep away from. You see, <laughs> tell us, tell our listener about that, David. Come on, you've got to before we get on to ha- what a wonderful writer, sculptor, artist. I reckon David needed wanted to buy an extra car, and there was a half decent fee involved in that. I think that's <laughs> what I think. I don't mean to be rude, but I'm pretty sure that must have had something to do with it. Well, Harry, the story is over because you nailed it. <laughs> Tell us quickly about your experience on MasterChef before we get to bigging you up about the artist and the books and all the rest of it. Let's come on. Okay. Generally in life, I have a rule of saying yes to everything, right? So thank God. I've I've always believed if they yes, stuff happens. It's too easy to say no. So first got into TV. I got my route in was radio. So a radio station rang me. Do you want to be on the radio live tomorrow? My instinct was no. I I couldn't bear the idea of it. I'd be petrified. But I just said yes. And so from that, even though I was terribly nervous and I couldn't, I didn't sleep a week. From that, I get into TV several years later. But in TV. You do get calls, you know, you get calls from celebrity shows and they say, would you like to be on? And my default is yes. So I had Strictly Come Dancing. They rang me. They said, David, do you want to be on the show? I said, yes. They rang me back. They said, no. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. What happens? Because they say, do you want to be on this? Honestly, I know from experience, you say yes. And then they go away and they muck around. They find somebody better that you don't hear from them. Don't. You're going to break Simon's heart. He's had this experience recently. Oh, really? The media world is ruthless. It is run by mercenaries, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're making me feel a lot better about my failed attempts to get into media, David. So, thank I, I should be paying for this level of therapy. I think you're fine. Honestly, Simon, I could give you so much therapy. David, I had to start this uh, podcast just to look after his ego. This is a man that sold Alex Ferguson, ex-manager of Manchester United, Alex Ferguson. I did. You sold Alex Ferguson, not just sold Alex Ferguson, for a record price. A world record. A world, pardon me. <laughs> tell us tell us about that. Well, you know, because being on TV, you get offered lots of different gigs. And as you know, I say yes to everything. Especially when there's a big fee. It's a cracking fee. I got this call. <laughs> now you have my attention. Yeah, Simon's something woken up. <laughs> so I get the call. Will you come to London and sell three things for this big charity in front of 300 city bankers? at the Natural History Museum. Oh, wow. They tell me what the fee was. I almost choked. I went and I pretended that it was like, you know, usual for me. And I just said, yes, in a very (laughs) high voice. So all I do is sell three things. But of course, because I don't prepare for anything, I genuinely, I don't like preparing for anything at all. I do put no, no, unlike you two, I put no research in at all. So I jump on a train, I'm going to the Natural History Museum, I get off the train, my brain just goes a bit mental, and I say to the taxi driver, can you take me to the British Museum? Not thinking I'd got the wrong museum. I get out at the British Museum, all the lights are off at the British Museum. There's a security man, I introduce myself, David Harper, I'm here to do the auction at the event tonight, and he said, there's no event on tonight, sir. I said, well, there is, because I'm booked. 
He said, no one in. I said, there must be someone in. Could you give that someone a call? He said, I will. He rang them. He said, we've got David Harper at the gate. I spoke to him. It's David Harper from Bargain Hunt. They'd never heard of Bargain Hunt. There was no event on. I thought there's something going on. So I said, I'll ring my contact. I rang my contact called Bill. I said, Bill, I'm outside the museum. They won't let me in. He said, David, the doors are open. I said, I'm looking at the steps. He said, what can you see? I said, I can see the steps, but there are no lights on. He said, there was a pause. And he said, David, the lights are blaring. <laughs> and it suddenly dawned on me, I was outside the wrong museum. So I ran off like a loony. And I eventually got to the Natural History Museum, sweating and having palpitations. I ran through just in time for Nick Robinson, the BBC political journalist, to announce that David Harper was your auctioneer for the evening. I got onto the stage dripping and panting with 300 city bankers looking at me thinking this guy is off his folly. <laughs> I've got to, I'll, I'll have a bit of a preamble, but in my head, I just thought, just get on with it. The first thing was Nick Robinson himself. It was dinner with Nick Robinson. So I grabbed Nick Robinson, got him on the stage and to buy myself some time to calm myself down. I removed his jacket and told the ladies to look at his manly physique and got him walking <laughs> around the stage. How much would they give to take Nick Robinson out for dinner? I sold Nick for £17,000. The next lot was Boris Becker, an afternoon with Boris Becker. And behind me came this big picture of Boris Becker. He's somewhere in the crowd. I couldn't see him, but there's a picture behind me. And I thought, my God, Boris, you he's, he's in his 50s, this guy. He was looking absolutely fantastic until I noticed in the bottom right-hand corner, the picture was dated 1988. <laughs> <laughs> Boris Becker looks more like Boris Johnson. <laughs> so I said, so anyway, I've got, take him out, go for lunch, play tennis, do whatever you like. £40,000 I got for him. And then the final lot was Sir Alex Ferguson, who was sat right in front of me, five feet down and about 10 feet away. And as I announced the third and final lot, one of the organisers ran up to the stage and stopped the proceedings and said to me, do not engage with Alex Ferguson. Don't get him on the stage. Don't remove his clothes. <laughs> Do not even look in his direction. Doesn't like getting involved with these kinds of things. So this like threw me because I was ready to get him on the stage. So we started bidding who's going to take him out for dinner. We started at 50,000 quid. I was about to sell him at 90,000. The world record for Alex Ferguson up to this point was 100,000 because he does give himself away for charity dues occasionally. And then suddenly... I get a bid, 95, 100, 110, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 170,000 pounds I sold Sir Alex Ferguson for. But there was no one in the room more excited than me. So I broke all protocol. I looked at Sir Alex Ferguson and I literally leapt off the stage in his direction. <laughs> Mid-air, I started regretting the... <laughs> <laughs>
And I landed right in front of Sir Alex Ferguson, who looked at me as if I was some mad chainsaw murderer. <laughs> and I shook his hand and I said, oh, thank you very much, Sir Alex. And that was absolutely magnificent. And I thought, my God, David, get out of here. And he, I must say, not only did he look very unhappy, he was very miserable. <laughs> he was so miserable, it was unbelievable. And I found the guy that had just paid £170,000 for him. I got hold of him, shook his hand, congratulated him and got the shock of my life because he was even more miserable than Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> Which, as voice, made me feel an awful lot better about my life. It really did. <laughs> yes, and the fact and the fact you'd gone to the wrong place. <laughs> I also like the fact that that is a brilliant story and on top of all of your other accolades, there are, you're being interviewed by two auctioneers and we've just established you're a better auctioneer than both of us as well. That is just yeah, perfect, absolutely. We've just we've just done three days on the trot, and I'm like, oh, oh no, hang on a minute, this is really bad news. <laughs> we are joined by one of the most famous dealers on TV now, host of Bargain Hunt, antique dealer extraordinaire, Danny Sebastian. Now, can I ask you about the Bargain Hunt thing? Because obviously, by the time you got the Bargain Hunt uh, co-host official job last year, you'd been on a lot of TV. You've been doing a lot of stuff, haven't you? Is, is it still a nice, warm feeling when somebody rings you up, the production company, and says, Danny, do you know what? We actually, we we want you to be a full-time member of the of the team and a co-host and... You know, it's it is on every day. I mean, it is on every day. I mean, the commitment's quite a lot, isn't it? It is, yes. So, but, I, mean, I mean, do you it, still, it, even with even when you, you know, you you're a you you're an easygoing guy. You know, the people you you lived a good life, but it still must be a nice and warm, fuzzy feeling. Going, do you know what? I've kind of made it here. Hang on a minute, I'm doing all right. You know, I must be doing the right thing for them to give me the gig. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, um, very humbled by it all. You know, it's um so humbled, very fortunate, very very fortunate. I mean, there's a lot of good dealers out there. I mean, I'm not indispensable, you know. Uh, I'm just fortunate that I'm in this position currently um, and very humbled by it all as well, you know. Oh, it's a nice feeling. It, it is <laughs> yeah. a nice feeling. It, it is a nice feeling. Um, Good. Well, it, it, it gives you that speciality. It makes you feel a little bit special, you know. No better than the next man, but to yourself. Yeah, that's you what I was feel... getting at. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. That's yeah, what I was getting definitely. at. The fact that you get to... You know, you get up in the morning and go, do you know what? Today I'm going to go and film another episode of Bargain Hunt. I'm doing all right. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, <laughs> even when, you know, I mean, obviously it's a daytime TV show. Most, the majority of people are working, you know, um, of, a, of an age, I don't know, 20, 20 to 55. The majority of those people in that window are working. You know, it's 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 so wonderful when somebody comes along, you know, and 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 and, um, and says, "Hi, Danny. You know, I watched you the other day. Oh, that was a great item that you bought. You know, and and you look at the person and think, bloody hell, you wouldn't even expect them to be watching Bargain Hunt. You know, and I say, oh, what? Right? When, where did you say? Oh, no, we recorded it. We we never miss it. You know, and you think, <laughs> very nice. 
Oh, that's really, and you've gone on to do um, CBeebies as well, Danny. Is that right? Yeah, I did see the other 61 episodes. Obviously, I'll be brutally honest, I haven't seen it, but I love the oh. fact that, that, when, but that when I looked it up, it, the, the tagline seems to be making sustainability fun. And you're doing that with the kids, right? That's a, that is a cool message to get out there. How's that working? Um, well, we've done 61 episodes. I've, I've, I think they've finished the programme, to be honest. But, I mean, of course, with the BBC, it's repeated, yeah. repeated. Yeah. And, of course, you're getting a different audience because those that are getting too old move on to CBBC. And, of course, you've always got babies coming through. So, um, <laughs> so, you, so, so you've got the whole spectrum. You've got the whole spectrum sorted out, haven't you? You've, you're covering oh. all the bases there, Danny. Oh, without a doubt. And of course, it, it, it's such a lovely programme because we're living in a, in a very throwaway society yeah. where, you know, if you can sort of educate the youngsters to be sustainable, be resourceful uh, and, and, and sort of have fun with something that will generally get thrown away. I don't know. You buy a brand new telly um, and you don't know what to do with the box. Oh, put it out for the cardboard. But there's so much things that can be created from that big cardboard box, plastic bottles, old, old pieces of furniture, even that you know you've got a, you've got a, a chair and a leg's broken. You can still transform that chair into something different that kids can. And there's no right or wrong. That's, That's the real yeah. beauty of it, you know. You, you wouldn't turn around and say, oh, my God, what have you made there? Because mm. that child sees it as something. I mean, if they've spent a lot of time, they've, they've used materials, um, they've respected the materials, they've respected that something else can be made from something what is thought to have been garbage, then... You know, so, That's so lovely. nice. That must be really gratifying as well, because, you know, I've got young kids. And when I see them on their screens, uh, my heart just dies a little bit inside. But when I see them building something and junk modeling and or playing with Lego or, or repurposing something that fills you full of joy as an adult. But also, you know, it's a message we've got to get across to those kids. Right. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Well, well done you, mate. Well done you. That must be, uh, did, you <laughs> nice enjoy, did, did you enjoy doing it as well? Oh, I'll tell you what, it, it was probably, it was probably the best TV. Really? It oh, probably really? was. I mean, I, I, I mean, I like kids anyway, you know, if we've got, if, if kids come, family or whatever come around the house, the missus always says, sort them kids out, you know, <laughs> and, and, and she might be having a glass of wine and everyone else is, and, and, and I'm babysitting rather than having a glass of wine, you know, alongside <laughs> But, you know, I, I can work with them. I, yeah, probably a bit of a big kid myself. But, um, oh, yeah, fantastic. You know, I, I think the, the thing is as well, you really get, with, when you're working with, with kids, you really get the rawness, if you would, you know, you, you, you really do. I remember saying, you know, even on the programme, I, I take, we was in the junkyard and I take out, I don't know, um, a piece of wood. And then I'll say to the kids, I'll say, right, kids, I'm off. I'm going to go and see Martin, who is a carpenter. Uh, no, I'll say, I'm going to go and see my friend, who's a carpenter, and see if he can do anything with this lump of wood. And one of the kids would turn around and say, Danny, have, have you got any friends? You know, just like that, you know, straight <laughs> off the top of their head. And I think that makes it so beautiful that they really say what they feel or mm. what they see. You know, uh, there's no, you know, a lot of people say to me on bargain and when I see them on the street, they'll say, what the bloody hell did you buy that for? 
you know, so, so they're knocking me, you know, or I'll tell you what, you, you lost 20 quid on that item on Tuesday. What a load of, you know, they're kind of knocking me. Whereas with the kids, as soon as they see you, like a parent will say, oh, is it possible? My child said that, you know, my Darren said he's seen you on telly. Could we have a photo? And, and the, the love is right there, you know, so... um and Wouldn't I love be a better feeling. That's fantastic, Danny. And I love so Harry and I on this podcast. One of the things that we are trying to get across as well is the fact that the sustainability of the antiques industry. There is no greener way to shop than at fairs and auctions and boot fairs. And there is no more, uh, there is no better recycling message than what we're doing. But one of the things that Harry and I are, are trying to champion is getting that message out to the youngsters. Don't go and buy a terrible three-piece suite on the never-never at a big high street, you know, pay for it over three years. It's a pile of junk and it will collect, you know, uh, look at the sustainability of buying your furniture through fairs and auctions and from dealers like yourself, because that is recycling at its absolute greenest. And I'm guessing you're championing that cause as well. Oh, without a doubt. I was going to say, I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> but I you're have getting put it better. And you're getting the youngsters. We're getting involved. good practice, Danny. We say it every week. <laughs> <laughs> but how do we get, Danny? How do we get the, the youngsters today? Because times are hard today, aren't they? And, you know, getting uh, the youngsters who are trying desperately to get on the housing ladder and buy their first homes. We've got to get those guys coming to people like you, coming to the fairs, coming to the auction houses and getting that, you know, uh, green message. But it's hugely economically viable for them as well. We've got to get that message across, haven't we? Well, I, I think the message is coming across. I remember when I used to go to charity shops 30 years ago, you know, and it was embarrassing. You know, some people yes. say, you know, oh, I like them jeans, but you'd, there's no way that you'd say I got it from a charity shop. But <laughs> but nowadays, it's so in vogue. So I do think the message is coming across. I think what we've got as well is you've got everybody wants the cream. That, that That's where the problem might be coming as well. I mean, I'll sell something that's six quid as well as I'll sell something that's worth 6,000. Um, I've got no scruples, you know. Um, it's <laughs> as, you, as you rightfully said, it's, it's more about sustainability than what it is about just making big money, um, you know, because you look, we, we know the saying, you look after your pennies and your pounds look after yourself. So, so it goes without saying. But I think a lot of people nowadays, they don't want the lesser items or they don't want to be seen to be selling the lesser items. It's all about the cream and not the crap, um, mm. which we've got to kind of get away from that kind of stigma, really. Otherwise, the fact being, you buy something that's flat packed from China, well, it's made of chipboard, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's absolute yeah, garbage, absolutely. really, you know. Uh, don't absolutely. get me wrong, it, it fulfills a purpose. But it, I mean, what are you expecting if it costs you £22 for a set of drawers with a hardboard bottom on the drawer? I mean, you know, you put two pairs of undercrackers in it and, and the bottom falls out. It can't take no weight. Whereas if you get a good set of, you know, early drawers, whether they're Victorian, whether they're Edwardian, whether they're early 20th century, retro, they're just well made. They're stronger. Absolutely. It's good wood. And okay it's gonna cost more than the 22 pound you'd pay on the ice street but it's gonna last a lot well it's, it's, it's lasting 70 years yeah coming from the 50s 
Yeah, that's right. But and, and surely it's going to last another. I mean, you move. A, let's say, for example, you buy something from IKEA, and then you, you're going to paint the room. You move the set of drawers. You know, you shuffle them along the floor. But when you go to put them back, you think, "Hold on a minute." <laughs> Tower of Pisa. <laughs> but, but I think we've got a big task, you know, to sort of get that message across purely because people haven't got the money. You know, things are tight at the minute. People haven't really got the money. Um, so the, the difficulty is upon finding. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. We still go right across the board, don't we? Because even if we pick up an old set of drawers, that are dark brown and ugly, we all know that we can sand them down and, and, and repaint them to yep. whatever, you know, tone fits your decor. So there's ways around it. There is ways around buying cheap pieces of furniture that are good quality and still making them desirable for your abode. You know, but I, I think we've still got to be knocking on that door, telling people, advertising what we do and what we've got to let the younger generation realise that, hello, we are here. Absolutely. Yeah, and it sounds like you're doing a cracking job at that, Danny. So fantastic it job. It really well does sound like you're doing a, a brilliant job. Well, only trying. We are being joined by a man famous, integral in the Bridport antiques scene, He's got the alleyways, he's got Bridport Antiques, so the Alleyways and Antiques Centre. He has been involved in the scene there for a long, long time and kept Bridport on the antique map. I am delighted and privileged to welcome Richard Payne with us to the podcast. You've been doing this a while now and, you know, we are hugely impressed with Bridport Antiques and the alleyways and all the rest of it. Let's take a sort of a, a bit of a, a step change and say, tell us a little bit about how you have been in this industry for, for a while, um, made a success of it. How do you source the items? Where do the items come from? Um, you know, what sort of things can you tell us about uh, your good buys and your bad buys, that yeah. sort of thing? Well, I mean... The the whole world is our market. Um, obviously, we, as you said, you know, we come to you. We sorry to say this, we do go to other auction houses. Pardon? Sorry. Uh, hold what? on, stop, stop. Hold on. Whoa, stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, David, you said it. You said it was <laughs> just me. You no, no, said I. Oh well, you know, poetic license. Hang but on, I must say, on. the Simon, best... Are there, Simon, hang on, Richard. Are there other auction houses in, in your area? No. Simon, I <laughs> no, don't there believe, aren't. I can't believe there aren't. that. There aren't. <laughs> okay, Richard. But you, I'm, you I'm know, hurt. I'm hurt. I'm well, hurt. no, I've got to say one thing. The best auction house to go to is a place called Lime Bay Auctions. Okay, you're Especially redeemed. if they've got jelly babies. <laughs> you're back in. You're back yeah, okay. in the fold, Richard. You, see, you're now my favourite. Okay, let's yeah, go. Yeah, you're back in. You're <laughs> you realise that when I go to the pub, and bump into a couple of auctioneer friends of mine, they're not going to talk to me now. <laughs> <laughs> My commission charges have just gone through the roof. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Dark at Bridport Auctions. Yeah, yeah that's going to go well. <laughs> Either that or it's going to cost me a few pints of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about where you find these items. Yeah, so um, house clearances, uh, people phoning up, um, actually other, other auction shops. Uh, sorry, um, antique shops. I mean, we, we you can't keep my wife away from all um, antique shops. Whenever we go away, it's like a busman's holiday. Um, so, yeah, and I'll tell you a funny one. Oh, in the early days of this, 
I got asked to do my first major house clearance because that's always a good way, you know. And I walked into this house, big, massive mansion, and I said, okay, so what do you want to sell? And she said, well, let me see, um, that, 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 and that, four items she pointed to. Um, I said, okay, no, 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 I'm keeping those. The rest of it's got to go. And I made a very quick uh, visit to the bank manager and said, look, I've got this deal going on. I need to borrow quite a few thousand pounds. It was a lot. And I bought the whole house. Fantastic. Everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. But um, the the lovely thing was there was a painting she was given. I mean, she was in her 80s then. She was given for her 21st and she didn't know who it was or anything else. And I said, I think it's French, but there was no signature that I could find. Cut a very long story quickly. I paid her for it. And I said, look, if I find out this is going to be worth more, I'll be back and see you. And about six weeks later, I'd researched it and traced it all the way back to the 1700s in Paris to the original owner, sold it, and it turned out to be Louis XIV, the Dauphin, uh, Grand Dauphin, the son. And Yeah. And so I drove all the way up to where she'd moved to in Bedfordshire to see her and to say hi and give her a check for a few thousand pounds. Oh, fantastic. What a super yeah. story. Wow. Yeah. That, stood you, that stood you in good stead for a long time, Richard, being good enough to uh, honour what you say. That's that's the mark of a man, isn't it? Well, I think so. I mean, the thing is, everybody that's in this business, you get those great deals every now and then. Um, but if it, if it goes obscenely big, um, you know, you should, you should reimburse, you know? Yeah. That's me personally, okay? Yeah, um, yeah, no, and I, I think no, we agree. Yeah, we agree. Uh, which which puts you very much in line with auction houses because our view is we will take our percentage, so we will get as much as we possibly can for you as well. Because yeah. the bigger it sells, everybody wins. Everybody wins. So you know, it's nice that that ethos is out there in the trading community as well as in the auction community as well. Yeah. Well, in and, every business transaction, both parties should be happy and benefit. Absolutely, should be a win-win scenario. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Indeed. And tell us, tell us about a few of the uh, the deals that maybe haven't gone as well as you'd hoped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I bought some a pair of uh, beautiful wine glasses, and didn't realise that. Dear they listener, were... for those of you who can't see, Richard has got his head in his hands, <laughs> and it was probably the most embarrassing one I put. I should have known better. When I was with John Lewis, I was in China and Glass. I should have known better. And I mispriced them. And they turned out to be worth, I sold them for about 40, 60 quid. Turned out to be worth 800 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) But she never came back and gave me anything. (laughs) It doesn't work both ways. Yeah, you've got to laugh. You know, you've got to laugh. I mean... Sorry, I'm rattling on, but a little while ago, my wife bought a load of stuff for the alleyways, and in amongst it were three etchings. And she said, look, these aren't any good for me in the alleyways. Do you want them? I said, yeah, how much do you want for them? She said, well, I paid £80 for the lot. I said, well, how much do you want for these three etchings? She said, (laughs) £80. I went, hang on a minute, you've got a whole load of 
I said, okay. I, I noticed one of them. When she saw it go through the books for £895. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. Hang on. Richard, I've got to get this straight, right? So your wife runs the alleyways. You run Bridport Antiques. Yes. But you buy and sell from each other. Yeah. <laughs> so there is the you are running the risk. Oh my god, I feel I feel unwell. You're running the risk of like you just did with your etching of profiteering out of your wife not knowing what something is, <laughs> or the other way round of her making money out of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's clarified that. So yeah, got that straight. Um, so what? So the evening, um, the evening after, or the evening of the day that she finds out you've made a um, one, uh, what is that, tenfold profit on uh, out of her etching? How'd that go? What's it like at your house then? Just checking. She laughed, asking for a friend. She laughed. <laughs> you didn't have to sleep in the car. No, no. But do bear in mind, it all goes in the same pot, doesn't it? At the end of the day. <laughs> But it's just fun when those sort of things happen. I mean, it was it was a brilliant etching, but I, as soon as I saw it, I knew what it was, and I thought you. Should, I was trying to negotiate with it to get the price down. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, let's let's move on a bit. What advice would you give to a budding trader? Uh, somebody who wants to get into the antiques business because you know at the level you that's you know like you say you got to have some deep pockets at some point. But yeah. to start off, what would your advice be to a budding young trader? Buy what you like, because yeah. the thing is, if you buy something you like, you're more likely to sell it. Um, to be honest, if you've bought something you don't like, it's it. It, the feeling goes out there. So that's one thing. Start small. Um, a lot of our people in our, our place, the, especially the ones that moved on to larger, uh, to have their own shops, started off with, what, a 60, 80 square foot little stand um, and then progressed up from that. So, But don't go over the top. The most important thing is, however big your unit is, if you're starting in a place like us, keep it clean. Keep it well stocked. Move the stock around. Change the stock. Um, and take advice from other people like ourselves about how much to charge for it. Because so, so often I see either it's ridiculously cheap, which I don't like that word, <laughs> but, you know, silly money, or it's the other extreme. And then they wonder why they're not selling anything. So you've got to hit the market right and, and listen to people like yourselves you know anybody with experience in it you know listen to them ask for ask for help because they, anybody you know this in our business we love to impart knowledge and to encourage people yeah 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 absolutely and, and of course you're absolutely right and the alleyways or similar uh, we have to be fair around the country there are individuals like yourself who run these big you know vintage marketplaces the ability to cut your cloth as you would say and have a small unit where you're surrounded by traders so you're therefore surrounded by knowledge and experience um, is a great way to get started. Yes, yeah, and don't don't just turn up once a month or once every two months. Make sure you pop in on a regular basis. Meet people. I mean, 
we're social people, <laughs> obviously, because I mean, we like a beer, but I mean, that besides that, you know, we like interacting with people. And that's what half of it is. Um, if you don't interact, if you don't network, um, and I don't mean networking in the cliche word, but just talking, talk about what you love. And if you only particularly love silver or you particularly like um, Staffordshire China, it doesn't matter. Then follow that lead and then you can expand into other things as you learn. Absolutely. And what would you say? What would you say is your passion then? Because I mean, crikey, I've been to your your to Bridport. There's everything. I mean, it is a cacophony. It's fantastic. There's silver. There's artwork. There's furniture. There's there's absolutely everything. But what about you? What's your passion? Would you say to me, it's furniture. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's my my main love. Um, that's why you know, like all the cabinets. I mean, I've got my smalls in cabinets um, anyway because when you're buying on bulk or I might, well, when I come to you, I might suddenly see something and think, actually, I like that. Mm -hmm. So I buy it and Sam would turn around to me and say, what did you buy that for? (laughs) I said, because I like it. That's what you do. That's the soundtrack of Simon is my life. (laughs) What on earth earth have you done that for? What on earth have you done that for? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, but it's mainly furniture. Yeah. And I like, I, I like the older furniture. I don't, I, Edwardian and further back, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I find it, some Edwardian a bit prissy, um, Victorian, but I do like my Georgian, um, even going back to Tudor. Um, right. I've got a couple of Tudor pieces in at the moment, which are, to, in my opinion, to die for. And you enjoy having them in the shop for a bit. That's oh, yeah. the problem, is that if you really like something and it arrives and somebody comes in the next day and goes, I want to buy that, that I'm, I'm imagine when you really like something, is that, well, do you, do you really want to buy it now? Couldn't you come back in a week? Because I kind of want to own it for a bit. You know what I mean? No, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I want to treasure it. You know, I, yeah, I, I bought I, I, that because I love it. <laughs> yeah. I want that to be mine. It doesn't have to be mine forever, but I just want to keep it for a bit longer. What, you want well, me to take it now? No, no, no. no, no. I think, Simon, you've been to our house, haven't you? I think. I can't remember. Uh, no, no, you, no, you wouldn't not. let We've me across the threshold. You're a sensible man. What's wrong with you? <laughs> that's, well, all other all the other that's all the other auction Yeah, that's all the other auction is. is. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I see. In fact, it must be one behind the sofa now. <laughs> <laughs> Get down, Mike. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the other classic is you see something and you bring it home. You know, and we live in a, a nice cottage. It's mainly pine, which is Sam's speciality is pine. I'm not, I like it, but it doesn't sell in my shop. Um, so every now and then I suddenly find something's gone and it's been replaced with something else because <laughs> Sam has bought something at auction. Uh, in fact, actually, was it your auction, Simon? Oh, really? Uh, you know Derek Stacy? Yes, yes. He's um, he sold about twenty odd years ago this beautiful big unit cupboard chest on uh, cupboard on drawers, huge bloody thing in pine. <laughs> Sam bought it from you at auction. We went and picked it up, and Derek turned around to me and said, "I don't believe it. I sold that twenty years ago." <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So there's. It, Thing, that is another interesting thing in this business, how you see things over the years suddenly reappear that you come back around and it's done the rounds. And I've, uh, the most I've had is I've had something back twice, bought it back twice. Really? Not oh, because wow. they didn't like it, but because either they've moved or mm. bereavement or whatever. 
Yeah. Um, and, it, and isn't that the interesting thing, again, about antiques, is that they have multiple lives because they're well-made, because they're beautifully built, because, you know, they survive a removals firm moving them from A to B to C, unlike the modern stuff that which shall remain nameless from certain vendors. <laughs> but this, you know, we talk about this all the time, Harry and I, sustainable uh, the sustainable ethos of uh, this trade. In, and the fact that you, Richard, see these items come round again and again and again goes to show how well and how sustainable these items are because they have multiple lives with multiple families and multiple houses. Yeah. I mean, bear in mind, we are the original recyclers. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. we've been recycling for hundreds of years. Yeah. Not me personally, but perhaps <laughs> Simon. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there you have it. That was another um, best of, uh, for want of a better description, of The Gavel and the Gavel. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter uh, for little uh, previews, excerpts, teasers, polls, all that sort of stuff. And uh, do like, subscribe and tell your friends. If you were going to give us a Christmas present, uh, five-star review, that's what we're after. Uh, so that'll be great. Thanks ever so much.